The text for this morning's worship service is taken from Luke 17, the verses 7 through 10. Let's now read that together. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 84, stances 4, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, suppose a parent sends one of his children on an errand. He is given detailed instructions as to what is expected of him. Now as he goes about his business, he encounters along the way all kinds of distractions. It could happen that a fire truck passes him at high high speed, arousing his curiosity, and then he goes to investigate where the fire is, to see whether or not he can help. Or along the way, there's a serious accident. He stops and helps the wounded until the ambulance attendants take over. There could be many other things which distract him along the way as he goes and runs his errand. It could also be that he encounters a funeral procession along the way or a wedding party of a good friend. Now, all these kinds of things could make him all but forget what he was sent for in the first place. He will be so busy with other things that he no longer focuses on the reason for his trip. The purpose for his trip has become secondary. Now, what do you think happens once he gets home? No doubt he will tell his parents and his siblings all about his adventures along the way. He will give them all the details, and they will give him a listening ear. They will be full of interest about the things that happened to him. Nevertheless, the final question will not be what has occurred along the way, but whether or not he did what he was told to do. The Bible sometimes describes our lives as a pilgrimage. We're on a journey through life, a journey from the cradle to the grave. Many things happen on that journey, births, deaths, accidents, serious illnesses, graduations, anniversaries, birthdays, Weddings, business failures, a new house, family feuds, all kinds of things. And we could talk about all these things for hours and hours on end and relate all the details. And those details are important. They are important in our lives and they are important also to God. The Lord God is interested in what happens in our lives. He is interested and what happens to us, and how we deal with things. But the end of the matter is not what happens, but 
whether or not we did what we were told to do. Did you do your duty? Did you do what God put you on earth to do? And it's also clear from the parable which we are dealing with this morning. It is about the duty of a servant for his matter, for his master, no matter what. The story itself is quite simple. No one should have any misunderstandings about the story as such. The message is clear. The servant should always be ready to serve. Nothing should prevent him from doing his duty. And the moral of the story is that that is the way it all is. That is the way it also is in the way that we have to serve our own master, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, that leaves us with many questions. There are many elements in this parable that trouble us. That's also apparent once you read the commentaries. For many explainers of scripture have some difficulties with this parable. In the first place, they have difficulty with the context. They do not see any connection between what precedes this parable and what follows. And they believe that Luke did nothing more than collect some of the stories about the Lord Jesus, and then he wrote them down without any thought about the relation of the one story to the other. However, when Luke wrote his gospel, he did so with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And those who do look at the context of this parable have difficulty with the fact that everywhere else in Luke, as in all the other Gospels, the Lord Jesus presents himself as a servant. He came to be served, or he came to serve, and not to be served. Think about the passage that we just read, Philippians 2. He set aside all the glory which he had with his Father, and he humbled himself. He did not come as a master or a king to be treated royally, but as a suffering servant. Why is that now in this parable the Lord Jesus reverses the roles and assigns the task of servanthood to his disciples and himself as the master? The greatest difficulty that the commentators have, however, is with the last sentence of the parable, namely that Jesus says that those who serve are nothing more than unworthy servants. How can a servant be called unworthy? For the servant in the parable was very useful to his master. Look at the kinds of things that he did. He plowed his field. He looked after his sheep. He even cooks his meal. The servant did all kinds of things for his master. How then would the Lord Jesus call such a servant unworthy? There's also a great difficulty that we all have with this parable, for we look at it from our own 21st century perspective and see here a master who misuses his servant. How can a master expect his servant to do all the work and then at the end of the day still expect him to prepare a meal for him? Isn't that exploitation? For we live in an age where a servant is expected to work no longer than 40 hours a week. If he works longer, then he expects to be paid time and a half, or else we might sue our employer. And furthermore, a servant who works hard could expect a little appreciation, some comforts, and a few rewards. Well, these are many questions, and let us consider them this morning. 
for it is important to seek an answer to the various questions raised by this parable, for the answers will help us understand how the Lord God wants us to serve him. Summarize this text as follows. In the parable of the obedient servant, the Lord Jesus teaches us that we must do our duty at all times. And we will first look at the reason for this parable, and then secondly, the teaching of this parable. So the theme is that we must do our duty at all times, and then first to look at the reason, and secondly, at the teaching of this parable. Why did the Lord Jesus tell this parable? What prompted him to remind the listeners about the merit of their duty? That is the question we must ask before we go into the actual meaning of the parable. In order to determine that, we have to look at the context and first determine whom he is addressing. From the first two verses of chapter 15, we know that the whole chapter is particularly addressed to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes. For there we are told that these leaders of Israel have great difficulty with the fact that the Lord Jesus eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. In consequence, the Lord Jesus tells them the parables about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. He teaches them how to be a good servant, not to lose sight of what the Lord God has given them to do. He teaches them not to get sidetracked in the journey of life by acquiring riches here on earth. In the first part of Luke 16, the chapter just before ours, he specifically addresses his disciples. But he addresses them in the presence of the Pharisees. And that's clear from verse 14. And so there is no change of location, nor of circumstances or audience. In the presence of the Pharisees, he addresses specifically his disciples as he tells them the parable of the unrighteous steward, thereby teaching them how to deal with their fellow man. And he ends by stating that money is only a means to an end. You must, put your, you must not put your trust in it, for you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one master. And you must listen carefully to his instructions. At this, the greedy Pharisees scoffed at the Lord Jesus, for they had many possessions and saw a great usefulness in earthly possessions and power. And so then the Lord Jesus gives them the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. A rich man, he teaches, cannot buy his way into heaven. He is doomed forever. He must do his duty with his riches while he is still on earth. And that finally brings us to the beginning of chapter 17. And again, what Luke presents is one unit. The Lord Jesus begins this chapter by speaking about the things that cause people to sin. Other translations use the word temptations. That word could also be translated as stumbling blocks. He teaches the disciples that they should not expect that following him is always a smooth road. There are sometimes sidetracks. There are things that will happen to them on the road of obedient service. And they will also distract them from the purpose of their journey here on earth. They will encounter many stumbling blocks, time and again. Stumbling blocks that threaten to bar the way. 
that keep them from accomplishing their mission. And the Pharisees are a good example of the kind of stumbling block that they will meet on the road. On the road of life, they will encounter all kinds of greedy and power-hungry people. Such people are out to acquire for themselves whatever they want by hook or by crook. They become a stumbling block. And then the Lord Jesus speaks about the forgiveness of sins. He says, learn to remain focused. And don't become fixated on those who make your life difficult. Don't dwell on the sins of others. That will get you away from the purpose that God has sent you on earth. Keep on going on the road that the Lord has sent you. And then the disciples realize that that is a very difficult task that the Lord Jesus gives them. For that reason, they want him to increase their faith. They want the Lord Jesus to give them the kind of faith that will do miracles, that will move mountains, else they won't be able to complete their task, so they think. However, the Lord Jesus says that if their faith is even as small as a mustard seed, then they will be able to accomplish wonderful things. For what is faith? Faith is trusting in your Lord and Master. Faith is remaining focused on what your task is. Faith is doing your duty. And in the parable, he brings that home. We come to the second point. The Lord Jesus says to his disciples, Imagine that you have a servant, and after working the whole day on the farm by plowing the land or looking after the sheep, he comes in and expects to be able to sit down and to eat right away. That's unheard of. First, he would prepare supper for his master, and only then will he be allowed to sit down and to eat. That is the way things go. Now, as I said, from our perspective, there are all kinds of difficulties with this scenario. And so, in order for us to be able to understand this, we have to transplant ourselves into that time and culture. For his disciples understood right away what he meant. These things were part of their everyday experience, for they too had servants in their employ. We know that, for example, from Mark 1, verse 20, where we are told that James, John, and their father Zebedee hired servants. It's likely that the other disciples will have been men of similar, similar means. For us, however, this parable requires some explanation. In the first place, we have to realize that anyone with even very limited means had a slave. And they were readily available. For the poorest of the poor let their children out as servants so that they could be fed. And there were many poor among them. And note well that the master had only one servant. He plows the field, tends the flock, and also cooks the meals. Such kind of -of jack-of-all-trades servants were quite common in those days. The relationship between master and servant is quite clearly defined. A servant would accept the authority of his master and would be obedient to him. He would look after his master in every possible way. And he would also do that gladly, 
For in the first place, that was expected. And furthermore, the relationship of master and servant provided the servant with a tremendous sense of security and well-being. In the place of loyalty, obedience, and a great deal of hard work, the master would protect his servant from poverty and harm. For the master was responsible for every aspect of his welfare. Today, we live in a welfare state. If you are unemployed or if you have no means of support, then you can always count on the government to bail you out. But that was quite different in those days. In those days, it was so that if you had no means to support yourself and you had no relatives to support you or a master to whom you could hire yourself out, then you would be reduced to becoming a beggar and thereby becoming a pitiful member of society. And so if you had no financial means, and then you needed someone in exchange for your keep who would look after you. Now then, within such a relationship, the servant knew his place. He would serve his master gladly and thankfully for providing for him. And so it was also quite natural that the servant would cook and serve the meal for his master. The text says that the servant was to get himself ready. Other translations have that he must gird himself and serve him. That is to say, it was expected of him that as soon as he came in, he would pull up his long outer garment and tuck it under his belt so that he would have the freedom to, of movement to look after his master. We would say that he would have to pull up his sleeves and get to work. Now, this was not strange to anyone who was listening. For no one in the audience could imagine any servant expecting special honors after fulfilling his duty in the field. He was expected to do this before he could sit down and eat his own meal. For him to eat before his master or to eat together with him would be unheard of. That is also clear from the way that the Lord Jesus introduces this parable. For it is clear from the original that the way he asked this question, that he expects an emphatically negative answer. He asks, what master would ask his servant to sit down and eat with him as a reward for the work he has already done? He expects them to say, no, that is not the way things are done. For they knew that that is not the way things were done in Israel. That is not the way things were done at those times. It belongs to his task. Furthermore, congregation, do not think that the Lord Jesus is expecting the servant to do something unreasonable, something which would really tax the servant's physical resources. For he's not referring here to a late meal around 8 o'clock or so after a long day's work. No, the word that he uses here for eating refers to a late afternoon meal around three or four o'clock or so. And so he asks further of his audience, especially of his disciples, should he thank him for that which he was supposed to do in the first place? Again, the answer is a foregone conclusion. They are expected to say, no, that is not the way it works. For indeed, that is not the way it is. That is not the way it is. 
And that is the point the Lord Jesus wants to make. That is not the way it is, especially with your relationship with the Lord your God. The Lord Jesus is warning here against a bookkeeping mentality. That is how the Pharisees look at things. They think that God is like the great accountant in the sky who weighs our good works and our bad works. The more good works you do, the greater your reward. That's the kind of mentality many of us suffer from as well. Today, everyone expects to be rewarded for everything that he does. Anything extra needs to be rewarded. Modern man also expects to be rewarded by God for his good works. As long as I'm a good person, then the Lord will also accept me. And then I will be saved. Now, you do not have to be afraid. However, our good works are not designed for us to earn anything with our Father in heaven. No, it is our duty to do good works. And that is what is expected from us. For the Lord God is the one who provides for us. He protects us. And whatever we receive is through grace alone. And that includes not only our salvation, but also our material blessings. We can also attest to that from events in our own lives. Sure, a lot of things happen, good things, bad things. There are prosperous times, there are lean times. There's joy and sadness. There are unexpected and expected events. But why do these things happen? Why, first of all, the good things? Why does he give us faith, for example? Why does God include us as part of his family? Does he give us those things for our own good in the first place? And what about our material goods? Why does God provide for you? Does he do that because he owes you something? No, God does not owe us anything. The primary reason that he gives us these things, so that his name may be glorified. All he wants you to do is your duty. And if you do that without showing off, or thinking that we are more special than others, and then we will also win others to faith. That is also what the disciples had to do. They had to do their duty. They had to forgive the sins of others as God forgives them. They had to do their work. They had to be faithful. They had to have a steady trust in the Lord Jesus, no matter what stumbling blocks would have come along. They had to continue to follow their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And what about when bad things happen to us? Why are there so many stumbling blocks, so many temptations along the way for us, things that get us off track? Well, those things are there to test your faith. And they are there to have you remain focused at the end of the journey, on what you are on earth to accomplish. The Lord God, for example, sometimes takes things away from us, earthly possessions or a loved one. He does that so that we may realize that we, 
that what we have here on earth is only temporary. He wants us to focus at the end of the journey on what we are put here on earth for. And the disciples had to learn that, and we have to learn that time and again. You see, the Pharisees and others like them tried to get them off track. They were trying to have them come to their way of thinking. But their way is the way of death. And their way is the way of the Lord, of the world. Look at how the Lord Jesus conducted himself while he was still on earth. He did everything for the glory of his Father. That was his task. And nothing and no one dissuaded him from his purpose here on earth. Nothing got him off track. All kinds of curveballs were thrown at him. Satan used all his tricks to make him forget his mission. But nothing, but nothing could. He was ridiculed. He was scorned. He was abandoned by men. And in the end, he was abandoned by God himself. But that did not make him stumble and fall. For he had his gaze fixed on his Father in heaven. And on the mission that he gave him to do. And whatever he did, he did for the sake of his Father's kingdom. Indeed, it is true that the Lord Jesus came on earth in order to serve. He was a servant. But because of his perfect service, he must also be served. And that's what we read together in Philippians 2. It says there, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because of Christ's service and total obedience to the Father, we too will be exalted. But as we make our journey through life, then we should not allow the various things that happen to us, whether good or bad, to distract us from our duty. We should not allow ourselves to be sidetracked by all kinds of things so that we lose our focus. Oh sure, many things require our energy. But in the end, what does God require from you and from me? Will he ask you about the many things that have happened in your lives? Well, yes, but that's not the important question. The important question is, have you done what I asked of you? In spite of all the things that happened to you in your life, have you kept your focus in your life? Have you done your duty? But what does he ask of us? He asks of us that we do the will of our master. That is our duty as citizens of God's kingdom. And brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, you should not expect a reward for what you have done. And why not? Because you already have that reward. You don't have to doubt that. 
And it is a reward that you cannot earn. It is a gift. And it is for that reason that you serve your master. You do not deserve that reward. Think about it. What has God given you? He has given you eternal life, hasn't he? Through faith. And what does he give you here on earth? He gives you food and shelter and drink. What more do you want? At the end of the parable, the Lord Jesus says that the servant of the master is nothing more than an unworthy servant. How can that be? That servant is providing all kinds of services for his master. He is not useless in the least. However, that is how the Pharisees see the disciples of the Lord Jesus. In their eyes, they are unworthy. That's also the way it is for us in the world today. In the eyes of the world, we are nothing. In the scheme of things, we have no clout, no influence. Christians are held up for ridicule because of their beliefs. Now, in a certain sense, we are also unworthy in the eyes of God, for we have nothing to offer him. However, because of Christ, we are worthy servants. Because of him, we are enormously rich. Because of him, we are very powerful. Because of him, we have an enormous influence in the world. And that is why we have to proclaim that message, that message of service to our Lord and Master who is a wonderful Lord and Master, who gives us many things. That message has to go out. We have to speak about it. We have to show in our lives that we are children of God. Do you think that this world would continue to exist if there was no longer a people here on earth to serve God? No. Do not let the world with its many diversions, distract you from following your Lord and Savior. Just do your duty. That is, do your Father's will. And the Lord will also assure you that you will get your reward, no matter what comes along. But the Lord our God is a gracious God who gives us more than we deserve, more than we could ever dream of. Amen.